Well, we're in week three of our series called Dreamers in the Hands of a Loving God. Joseph, his dad, and the rest of us. It's a journey that we're moving to with Joseph from self-absorption to confidence in God. We start with Joseph, and he's, he's a young man overflowing with talent and privilege. <clears throat> he came from a prosperous family, and he's groomed for influence uh, as a young man. But under the surface, things were really, really bad. Joseph's entitled attitude was, was brushing up against uh, and aggravating his brother's cruelty. Uh, and their dad was playing favorites and triangulating with them. Uh, and as is usually the case, the tensions under the surface of a family eventually engulf all of the happy appearances of the family. We left off last week with Joseph's dad <clears throat> holding in his hands the bloodied, multicolored coat that symbolized Jacob's privilege and status in the family. Joseph's dad, Jacob, or Israel, depending on where you're at in the narrative, um, but anyway, Joseph's dad assumed that it meant his son Joseph had died. He was completely oblivious. And he assumed uh, with it had died all of his hopes and dreams for the family. He had hopes and dreams. It was wrapped up in his son Joseph, and it died in, from his perspective when Joseph died. And it turns out his sons had tricked him. They had sold Joseph as a slave to some traveling merchants and faked his death using animal blood. Now, where did this deceiving dad by defrauding his favorite son pattern emerge? And how is it going to impact Joseph um, in the long run? In order to answer that question, we need to unpack the family history. We need to go back, turn back the clock a generation and see what was happening about 30 to 40 years ago when Joseph's dad was a young man like Joseph. Why do we turn back the clock? Why do we unpack? Why not just plow forward, look ahead to the future, um, and, and resolve the story without going to the beginning? Well, we go back so we can truly grasp the truth about Joseph. Specifically, we want to know the deep roots, capital D, capital R, of Joseph's character. The good, the bad, the blessings, the curses all of which were flowing through his story before he was old enough to talk. We want to know the power also of God's grace as it breaks into and redeems this family history and this family story. We want to know the power, uh, we want to know the truth, but we also want to know the beauty of how the story resolves and how his story and his family story comes together and has an, an amazing resolution we want to know the truth, we want to know the power of God, and we want to know the beauty of how the story resolves. Would you like to know this for your own life? Would you like to know the deep roots of your character and the power of God's grace as it is breaking into your family? And do you want to know the poetic beauty of your story finding resolution in God's story? One of Jesus Christ's most famous promises to his disciples was this, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that was a promise. Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to be set free by that knowledge? 
I want to invite you to know the truth about Joseph as we unpack what transpired between his dad, Jacob, and his grandfather, Isaac. I believe we will walk away from this story with resources for understanding our own families. Because yes, it is a sad and tragic story, but it's also the truth. The book of Genesis does not spin the facts. I love that this story was included and and not whitewashed from history. It's an honest portrayal of, of the people that God chose to use to bless the world. It's an honest portrayal of people God chose to heal. Despite their best attempts to screw up their lives and the destinies of their kids. I invite you to turn to Genesis 25 in your Bibles or your programs. And today, I want to talk about three diseased roots under the Joseph tree. Three diseased roots feeding into the tree of Joseph's life. Number one, the first root was the scalding favoritism of Joseph's uncle over Joseph's dad. Number two is the broken marriage of Joseph's grandparents, the estrangement between them. And number three is Joseph's dad's choice to commit fraud. Favoritism, an estranged marriage, and fraud. These disease roots were growing before Joseph ever came, before he was a twinkle in his dad's eye. They were all in existence. So let's look at number one, the scalding favoritism of Joseph's uncle over Joseph's dad, Esau over Jacob. I'm going to start reading in verse 19 of Genesis 25. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. And when Isaac was 40 years old, uh, when he took Rebekah. Now this was the family God chose to bless in order to bless the world. Isaac is Joseph's grandfather, and Rebekah is Joseph's grandmother. But there's a problem. Joseph's dad almost never came, um, almost never came along because Rebekah wasn't getting pregnant. They were barren. They were having a hard time bearing children. And so verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now to put this in perspective, this is 19 years of praying. Isaac was 40 when they got married. He was 60 when Rebecca bore children for the first time. This is not a normal pregnancy. This is 20 years of waiting. And Isaac is praying this whole time for his wife, most likely. And then verse 22, the children, when she conceived, the children struggled uh, together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Hey, Rebecca, this this difficult pregnancy, it's a sign. It's not just normal, it's a sign. First, it's a sign that you're having twins, so that's great. That's why it's thus. You're having twins. Um, Why is it thus? Okay, secondly, um, secondly, both children in your womb are leaders of future nations that will be rivals. Both of your children will be patriarchs in their own right. And I'm going to, to rock your world and defy all cultural expectations 
by choosing the younger child to carry the family blessing that I've given to you. You haven't seen this coming. No one's seen this coming unless you've been reading between the lines in the generations before, but the younger child will carry the blessing. And then verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Now I wonder if Isaac and Sarah were there for the birth, okay, to welcome the twins into the world, because this was a special moment for them. They've been waiting for this for a long time. They weren't sure if this moment was coming. And, and they lived, Abraham and Isaac lived until the boys were about 15 or so. Old Testament scholar Bruce Walk, he notes that there was time for Abraham to tell his grandsons about how the family would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, to sit them on their lap and tell them about God's blessing over the family. There was time for the boys to begin to take in the grandfatherly blessing, the grandfatherly story. Both boys had a chance to, to see and connect with the destiny that was put upon their shoulders. But there was something wrong. There was something amiss. 25 verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a, a quiet man dwelling in tents. So just a quick note about the sons. Esau hunted animals. He's a predator. He's ruddy man of the field. When it says Jacob is a quiet man, for the introverts out there that are assuming everything's about you, just kidding. Um, the word quiet man is tra best translated gentleman. It's gentleman. A, a cultured man who dwells in tents, maybe an introvert, um, um, so that he can take care of sheep and goats and other animals. Now, no matter how you're wired, every boy naturally craves his father's affection. It's the, mo it's the most powerful hunger you could ever imagine. Every boy wants his father's blessing and affection and love. It's a powerful craving. And the father can use that power to nurture and strengthen his son, or he can use that power to manipulate his son. So how did Isaac use his power? Verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. It's right there. He loved Esau because he ate of his game. By the time these boys are older, Isaac has shifted from praying for his wife to overeating. His appetite becomes his God, and Esau becomes useful to him. Esau was his meal ticket. Hey, Esau, my special guy. How about you go back out and get some of dad's favorite meat and cook it up just how I like it, bring it back to me, and we'll have some special father-son time together. How about that, Esau? Think you can do that? Sure, dad. Any boy wanting his father's affection and love will do that. And all of a sudden, love and usefulness are inextricably linked together, and that hurts the soul. When your performance and your belovedness are linked, all of a sudden love is conditional on your capacity to earn it, and that hurts. It never fills the soul. It's never complete. You're only as good as your last performance. You're only as good as your last hunt, Esau. And that's the truth. This must have been confusing for Esau. And it must have been incredibly scalding for Jacob. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. 
But Rebecca loved Jacob. Rebecca loved and favored Jacob. No matter how much love you receive from your mother, and it is important, it can't replace your hunger for the love of a father. And this would have a massive impact on Jacob. A massive impact on Jacob and Esau too, who, la- who lacked the capacity to engage in relationally complex circumstances. Out of Jacob's 12 sons, he only loved two of them. Jacob here, unloved by Esau, is himself only able to love one-sixth of his sons. Favoritism and father hunger would continue in the next generation. Even though Joseph uh, would, benefit it, would benefit from it for a, for a time, it ended up being a real curse for Joseph. On the one hand, it was, it was good that Joseph's dad was, 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 uh, uh, was not favored. But on the other hand, it really hurt him. Scalding favoritism, it's the first diseased root feeding into the Joseph tree. And the second diseased root is this, the broken marriage of Joseph's grandparents, Isaac and Rebekah, the broken marriage, the estrangement between Isaac and Rebekah. As we've seen, Isaac started out as the spiritual leader of his family who prayed for his wife as they waited for his sons. But somewhere along the way, he stopped leading. And as for so many men, it was their appetites that took them down. Isaac developed an out-of-control appetite for food and drink, and it's Rebecca who inquires of the Lord about her pregnancy. She starts to fill the vacuum of leadership um, with her own initiative. Like Adam and Eve, male passivity leaves this marriage vulnerable to division. And this situation uh, devolves from there. As with any marriage, when any marriage is broken, the situation just gets worse. It just gets worse with time. It just gets worse with intensity. And it gets worse when the boys are grown. Chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. Verse 2. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt some game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Isaac is pulling a fast one here. The, the passing on of the patriarchal blessing was as public of a ceremony for the patriarchs as weddings are for us, unless you're eloping. And when you're eloping, sometimes it's fun, But sometimes you're pulling a fast one. You're trying to leave people out, get something done in secret, which is meant to be uh, publicly celebrated with pomp and celebration. It's a blessing between father and son. It's the most significant moment for this family's life. All the whole narrative is leading up to this moment. When will the blessing be and who will get blessed? And Isaac is trying to squeak it by privately. Isaac is working an angle, and he's not communicating with his wife about an important spiritual matter. They're not on the same page. And it's the most consequential decision they will ever make as a married couple. Spiritual and personal communication has broken down between them, and the future of God's call on their family is in jeopardy. And then we come to a Downton Abbey moment in chapter 27, verse 5. 
Now, Lady Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Ah, Lady Rebecca's in the drawing room, listening in. Oh. And now it's time to work her angle. The intrigue thickens. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it in, verse 6, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Sounds like a father, doesn't it? Um, but she's leading because um, Isaac's not. Verse 9, go to the flock and bring me two good young goats. Remember, uh, Jacob is a, is a pastoralist. That means he dwells in tents and takes care of goats, so he knows what the goats are. Um, And she says, um, so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father, such as he loves inordinately, such as he loves with his whole life. And verse 10, and you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But but Jacob said to his mother, uh, Rebekah, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall not seem to be, I shall seem to be mocking him, bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. Interestingly enough, he's, he's not quibbling about the ethics of this. He's quibbling about the plausibility of this plan. Verse 13, his mother said to him, let your curse be on me. My son, only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. Yeah, Rebecca's the real leader of the house. She knows how to get things done. She was cunning. She's also deceptive. And she had the desire to pass on the blessing as God had declared to her from the beginning. So it's complex, isn't it? Human life is complex. Human decisions are complex. There's moral complexity in Rebecca's choice. There's moral complexity in Jacob's choice too. We should appreciate that. That's the truth. And the truth is that their marriage was broken. Isaac had his agenda. Rebecca had hers. Male and female set against each other rather than in unity with one another. And then there's Jacob just sucking all of this up into his soul. How does this impact him? Well, there's immediate consequences for Jacob. He's separated from his mom for a while after this story's over. In fact, she's written out of the story. But Jacob has to run away. He's got to go into hiding. And then later on, uh, you know, uh, Jacob has a son, Judah, There's a story in Genesis 28, Judah and Tamar, 38, Judah and Tamar. An awful story, awful, awful family history involving just incredibly uh, uh, deep crossing of boundaries and murder and male and female set against each other. Jacob would go on to take two wives and two concubines, have two sets of offspring with whom he creates a intrigue of uh, drama of intrigue and hierarchy and broken communication. This would have consequences for Jacob. It's a disease root at the heart of the Joseph tree. Joseph would pay for all of this. Now, one and two, roots one and two came from his grandparents and his parents. But root number three is going to originate from Joseph's dad. It's going to originate from Joseph's dad. Roots one and two is from his, his grandparents, but root, root number three is from Joseph's dad. Jacob is presented with a choice. He is presented with a moment of moral agency. Despite the influences over him, he's got that choice. So did your grandparents. 
no matter what their circumstances. So do your parents, no matter what their environment was. And so do you. At some point, we get to decide whether or not we will pass on the family toxins by participating in them. And Jacob makes the wrong choice. This is the third disease root at the heart of the uh, Joseph tree, and that is his dad's choice to commit fraud. Jacob's choice to commit fraud. Now let's appreciate this dilemma. Okay, Jacob's mother had come up with a very workable plan for Jacob to get the blessing, which was his dream. And she came up with a way to get it done. All he had to do is reach out and grab it. All he had to do was work the plan, and and his dream would come true. And wasn't that the only way? Maybe from Jacob's perspective, Rebecca's perspective, maybe that's the only way for the prophecy to come true. It's for me to reach out and grab it. What if Jacob had chosen not to deceive his father? Think about that. Would he still lead a nation? Would he still get the blessing? I mean, he wants the blessing. Blessing is a good thing. Isn't this a good thing? Then would he ever get it? Would Esau get it? Drooling, groveling Esau, who doesn't really care about the blessing, sells it for a birthright? You're going to let that guy carry the family blessing? And then what? Get nothing? Go into exile? That's a bad deal. You get nothing. It's prophesied that you'd get it. You're clearly the better man. But your oath of a dad is about to throw your dream away in some stupid secret exchange. That's the kind of choice that Joseph's dad had to make as a young man. Now, it's interesting. Joseph would find himself in an eerily similar circumstance. Um, In Potiphar's house, he's on the upward track. We'll talk about it later. But he's on the upward track in Potiphar's house. He's getting closer to his dream of leadership and influence. And in Potiphar's house, the man of the house is officially in charge, but his wife is working secret angles behind his back, trying to get Joseph to go along with it. Joseph's put in the middle between Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. He's got a choice. You give in to the women's demands to sleep with you and defraud her husband. Or, uh, you know, just to keep the dream alive, he could do it. Or go back into the pit by denying her. That's a tough choice. We'll see next week how he responds. If you have a parent or grandparent that had a difficult choice like this, and said no to participating in the family toxins. Praise the Lord for them. Praise the Lord for every way that your grandparents and parents said no to sin when it was the immediate thing in front of them and seemed like the best thing. They blessed you when they said no. They blessed you when they obeyed. Satan's lie to people who want to follow God is always God's plan for you can't happen on God's terms. You've got to find a shortcut. You've got to find a better way. That choice was presented to all of our generations and it will be presented to us as well. And Jacob takes the bait. Verse 14, So Jacob went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau on her older son which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And then as Nathan so well dramatized for us, he came in, my father, and Isaac said, uh, here I am, where are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I have saw your firstborn, and I've done it as you told me, now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? 
And he answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. And isn't it interesting where this leads? He makes a choice to deceive his father and he ends up blaspheming. That's, that's how it goes. He's lying about God in an attempt to make his dream come true. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to his, uh, Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Now, we're, it's humorous, yes, it's, but it's also kind of sad because on the one hand, Jacob can, can hear with his ears, which is always a sign that you could connect with God, is that you could hear his word and respond to it. And Jacob's hearing is still there like a little dim light, like a little pilot light. Something's not right here, but he's not listening. He's tasting. His, his appetite brings him down. And verse 23, he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He just blessed him. Let people serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, myself included. (laughs) It's so ironic. He's being cursed in the same moment that he's being blessed. And blessed be everyone who blesses you, me included. And And now it's too late to go back. Choice has been made. The fraud was a success. Jacob's in charge now. Esau's cut off and cut out. And it's a, it's a choice that is just going to reverberate for a long time. It will come back years later to hurt him and hurt his sons. And yet God's grace would still use it to save him and save the world. And there it is. Scalding favoritism, a broken marriage, and massive fraud against your own father and brother. What do you do when you see for the first time how broken and divided and pathetic your family is? Esau helps us. Verse 20, uh, Genesis 27 verse 34 tells us that when Esau got the news, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And when it was all said and done, verse 38, and Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Weeping is a sign that you're taking time to mourn the loss of something good. You're letting go of something good that you had, and you don't have it anymore. Your brother's deception, um, your father's manipulation, your mother's scheming, the profound division within your family, and all your dreams dashed to the rocks. And, and, And Esau weeps, and it's so fitting that he does. When Esau learned the truth, Esau wept. Weeping becomes a fitting soundtrack for the, for the family going forward. The specter of violence, deception, and alienation would hang over the brothers and into the next generation. Sinful patterns would perpetuate themselves, and so would the weeping. Jacob would weep when he thought Joseph was dead. Joseph would weep when he saw his estranged brothers for the first time in years. And Rebecca's tears aren't even heard because she disappears after this episode. But we're still weeping aren't we? We're still weeping. It's all you can do when you get as honest as Esau. What are the diseased roots that feed into your tree? What are the healthy, life-giving roots that feed into your tree? You might try an exercise uh, called a family genogram. Um, It's where you get to map out 
your parents, your grandparents, your siblings. What are the patterns? What are the themes? We'll make it available. It's a PDF on our, on our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Chicago Anglican. When Jesus Christ started his teaching ministry, one of the biggest controversies around him was, who's your dad? Who's your real dad? Um, are, are you the son of a fornicator or are you the son of God? What a stark choice. And throughout his life, the Jews are arguing that the authority, the religious authorities, the people, the status quo, who's your real dad? And if God's your father and you're up there on the cross, does he really love you? Is he really with you? Did he really bless you? Are you really the anointed, baptized, commissioned, beloved, eternal son of God? What's the truth? Jacob was the son of God. And mysteriously enough, uh, or sorry, Jesus was the son of God, yes, and mysteriously enough, he was the son of Jacob too. Jesus, when he became man, entered right into our family line as our gospel text presented this morning. Adulterers, murderers, con artists, narcissists, all the disease roots of our broken race fed into his tree. And when he hung on that tree, when he hung on his tree, Bleeding out, he wept too. For like Esau, he was alienated from all love, cut off and cursed. What a misery and horror that must have been. No wonder he screamed. But he was cut off on the cross from his father's love to make us sons and daughters of God. Never cut off, never cursed the true Father who models perfect and unconditional love, who speaks a blessing over us. Unconditionally, no matter what we do, and then follows that blessing up by acting in love on our behalf. Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the truth. That's the gospel truth. And once this sinks in, you'll be free. You'll be free to humanize your parents and your family rather than deifying them or demonizing them. You'll be free to confess your own participation in generational patterns and sins and repent of them and come to the cross for forgiveness and grace. You'll be free to confess the ways that your true family of origin is reshaping you, the family of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's called a testimony. And if that abides in us as deeply as our personal history, then you can get as honest, you can get honest and tender at the same time. It doesn't have to make you bitter. Then you can weep not only with sorrow but also with hope. Then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. our faiths, faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. As God's sons and daughters, confessing 